0: Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au It's a great Sunday to be in church and we've worshipped together and now we're going to go to the Word of God. And after the Word, we're going to also break bread together this morning. So... Action packed Sunday morning. Uh, well, it's a privilege to have David be able to share the word. David, uh, David, David uh, oversees our youth and young adults ministry, doing an, an incredible job with a with a team that's uh, alongside of him, and we're just so proud uh, to have such a great young. Uh, group of people and also to have people like David who uh, are leading the teams, who are watching over the youth and ensuring that they grow uh, spiritually and also discover their giftings in Christ and above all else, have an encounter with the living God. So would you give David uh, a warm welcome as he comes to share the word? Thanks, Pastor Joe. Good morning, church. It's so good to be here this morning. And thank you, Pastor Joe, for the nice introduction. If you don't mind, you put that in a In an email. So next time you call me in your office, I can get out of jail free card. I can pull that out. No, it is. uh, It is so good to be in church this morning. And before we start, I just want to give a huge round of applause for all our um, people, new in us that serve in our leaders. Can you give a round of applause? They do an amazing job. They sacrifice every Friday night to make sure that people have young people have an encounter with God. Whereas. You know, some people on a Friday, not particularly young adults and teenagers, they're often doing other things, but our young people know that the, the power of young people and encounter of God. I'm just incredibly proud and, and privileged to be able to serve, come one day a week on staff. The church is 60 years old and you know, there's up to three generations in this family. And I'm just incredibly honored and privileged to be part of that and passing that baton on to the next generation, which they look amazing. Just look amazing and I think our church is in amazing hands. Um, I'm really excited to share the Gospel um, this morning. And uh, before we do that, I just want to also thank Pastor John and for this opportunity to share. But not just that, um, I just want to thank them for always Having an open door policy, I'm not perfect. I make lots and lots and lots of mistakes, but they always tend to support me, never blame me and make me feel really encouraged to keep going. And same shout out to Auntie and Pastor Joseph, always have an open door policy, trying to make my life as easy as possible. So thank you guys as well. All right, so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like to get into um, today's sermon. I want you to turn to John chapter 14, verse 27. It's John chapter 14 verse 27. The Bible says, "Peace I leave with you; my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid." I actually, like how the Passion translation puts it says this, "I leave you the gift of peace with you, my peace." Not the kind of fragile peace given by the world, but my perfect peace. Do not be, do not yield to fear, or be troubled in your hearts. Um, I think we can all agree that there is one thing that seems to be missing in our lives today. It's peace. And what I want to share about this morning is peace in the storm. Peace in the storm. Um, If there's one thing we need in our families, it's peace. If there's one thing we need in our children, it's peace. If there's one thing we need in our society, it's peace. And I don't know about you, but I just feel recently wherever we go, there's just this, this unsettleness. You know, that when we're driving, we're just one click away from someone blowing up in a, in, in a, in a rage traffic accident, or you're lining up in cars and, you know, the groceries, 15 items and under, and the person behind you is counting and they're you know, ready, ready to explode. And there's just this unsettleness. Everyone's on edge. Um, recent studies have found that we're the most worried, anxious, fearful generation compared to any other generation in history, our generation, we're the most worried, fearful, anxious generation compared to any other generation in history and as I was preparing this sermon I, I came across some recent stats which really broke my heart and it kind of indicates where we are as a society, every day six Australians will die from suicide every day. Tonight when you go home and you have dinner as a family, when you watch your TV shows, six Australians will commit suicide. Six Australians will say, there's so much turmoil, so much pain in my life, there's so many things that I can't control and the only way I can get peace is by ending my life. And another 30 will try to commit suicide but won't be successful. The World Health Organisation estimates that depression will be the number one health concern by 2030. By 2030. I actually don't think it's 2030. I think it's today. I think anxiety is, is, is on a rampage today. I think depression is at a, at a sky high like today. And I believe the world will do anything to find and experience this thing called peace. We'll do anything just to have Peace. And Jesus, in this text we just read, says there's two types of peace we can experience. The first one, he says, is the world's peace. And he describes it as fragile. In the dictionary, the word fragile comes up as temporary or easily broken. Isn't it interesting how we've got more money than ever before. We've got more knowledge like like ever before. um, We can click our fingers and get anything at the fingertips. We've got better technology, yet peace seems unattainable. Peace seems so far away, yet we've got everything at our fingertips. More money, more everything. It was less than 20 more, uh, 24 months ago when COVID happened. Everyone thought peace was found in getting toilet paper. <laughs> toilet paper. How? I just, just, let's just pause and reflect on that. We've got COVID. Everyone thought, you know what? If I get toilet paper, I will be safe from COVID. <laughs> How does that bring Peace. No, I was just thinking about it yesterday. There's, in 40 years' time, we're going to have some primary school kid do a big research assignment in primary school, and he's going to study the pandemic, and the teachers go, Timothy, what did you learn about the pandemic? He goes, well, during COVID, you've got to get toilet paper. Three-ply, not one-ply, three-ply. Kleenex, you know, the dog is, you know, it's half there. But what happened when all the toilet paper ran out? What happened to our piece? Everyone went to rice, and then when that ran out, everyone went to meat. Then it went to hand sanitizers. Then it went to the vaccines. Now it's booster one, two, three, 455. It never ends. Why? Because Jesus says that the peace that the world offers is what? It's fragile. It's temporary. It's easily broken. I'm coming to a young thirty-five now, and. I'm starting to realise the people i have going up with where they think peace is found at the, at the bottom of an empty alcohol bottle. Some people think that peace is found in going onto certain websites or, or you know, running away from responsibility and blaming everyone else. That's not going to bring peace. That might bring short-term peace, but that's going to bring chaos and destruction to your life and to the people you love. Yeah. Jesus says the world peace is what? It's fragile. It's temporary. The second word... Uh, the second peace that Jesus talks about um, is his peace. It's his peace. The Greek word for peace in this verse is the word irine. And you've got to kind of say it with an accent because it makes it more believable. You know what I mean? Ire, which means inner rest. does does it sound good? Inner rest. <sighs> inner rest. It's an inner rest that's not based on feelings or circumstances. That's temporary. But it's a lasting peace. It's this inner rest that's deep within our hearts, that we can speak deep within our soul, that we can have during the middle of a storm. What's interesting is the word ire comes from the verb word iro, which means to bind and join together. In other words, the only way we can experience this lasting peace that's not based on circumstances, that's not temporary, is when we join and bind our lives with Jesus Christ. It's only a lasting peace, this perfect, that comes from Him. It comes when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But this is my dilemma. This is my problem. And I don't know about you, but I'm way more familiar with temporary peace. I'm way more familiar with peace based on my feelings or peace based on my circumstances. I'm way more familiar with uh, with temporary peace. You know, I can have this perfect peace on a Sunday morning. I come here, the worship's amazing, Pastor Joe's preaching. I'm like, yes, I'm ready to face anything. I'm ready to tackle everything. I've got the perfect peace. And then Monday comes. Monday arrives. The kids are fired. They've got attitude. I went back to work this Monday a couple of days ago when six in the morning, my kids decided to get up, go in the pantry and start eating. They got us a big spoon and start eating tubs of Nutella. Micah thought he was auditioning for a Circus Delay because he was just doing cartwheels in the hallway. Ezra was speaking in tongues, I think, because he was jubbering, singing. I don't know what was going on. Goodbye, peace. So like peace and parenting just like don't collide. It's like they had a big argument over Monopoly and never decided to become friends again. An argument breaks out with the wife because she doesn't like the way you pack the dishwasher. Big spoons, little spoons and forks. David, get it right. You get to work and the boss gives you another assignment with limited resources. Deadlines, you've got to get things going. Another bill comes in the mail. And this is the worst one. This terrifies me. You check your phone, you've got a missed call from Pastor Joe. Oh, no. Oh, Pastor Joe. Quick, your brain goes, what do I do on the weekend? Oh, what's on my social media account? Quick, delete, delete, delete. <laughs> Can not be honest with you? The year for 21 for Steph and I was a difficult year. It felt anything but peace. It felt like a year of anxiety, a year of stress, and at times a year where we didn't know what to do. Uh, last year, Steph and I, we, we had three miscarriages. Uh, the last one was about six, seven weeks ago where uh, we thought we got past the first four weeks, and we thought, yes, we got past the hump, that, that dilemma, and then two days before Christmas, we had to rush Steph to the hospital and had to remove the baby. We had two big car accidents. My car was ridden off, so we bought another car, and then in that car, we had another car accident. And the world doesn't stop, it just keeps going and going and going. And I, the year for me didn't feel like this piece that Jesus is talking about. And I'm sure for some of you, you can relate to me. You can relate to me, what I'm talking about. That that the year for 21 for you was anything but peace. You feel like your marriage is on the rocks and struggling. You feel like your your family was in turmoil. or You you got a report from the doctor and and then that peace has suddenly disappeared. There's this tension because Jesus says, I'll give you my perfect peace, but why don't I feel it? He says, I'll give you my peace, David, but God, why don't I feel it? And the question I ask myself is, how do I experience this perfect peace that Jesus is talking about? A peace that's not temporary, a peace that's not based on circumstances that can come and go, but a peace that's everlasting, a peace that I can have in the middle of the storm when my world feels like it's falling around me. Because I believe Jesus doesn't want to give us his peace. I believe he does want to give us his perfect peace. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to explore a story in the Bible that shows us what his peace actually looks like, his perfect peace, and how we can experience this for our lives this morning. So if you go back to your Bibles, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 29. I have it on the board as well. It's good to hear some leather um, Bibles, paper Bibles, you guys are going to get VIP pass in heaven. anointing that one there. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, it says, Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent some people home. After After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came towards them, walking in the water. When the disciples saw him walking in the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. I love that, at once, straight away, at once, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking in the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the other side of the boat and walked in the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong winds and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Let's pray. Father, thank you, God, that you are God. You are the Prince of Peace. You're Jehovah Salaam, which means peace of God. We thank you that this is your word that this is your house, that we're on holy ground. And right now we believe that one word from you can break every stronghold. That one word from you could break every anxiety. That you do want to speak to your perfect peace. I just come against every distraction, every thought, every circumstance that's not from you, Lord God. We bind that up in the name of Jesus. We are free by the blood of Christ, Lord God. So I thank you, God. Right now we confess our sins to you. Forgive me for anything that's in my life that may hinder your word. This is your word, God. This is your church. This is your word, Father. So we come anticipating to hear a word from you. We love you and we declare these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the first point I kind of want to talk about that that came to me during uh, this story is that peace is not immunity from difficulties. Peace is not immunity from difficulties. So out of this text, the first thing that we read is that Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. Now, this is so significant. This is so important because if we believe that Jesus is all-knowing, which he is, he knows the future, that means he knew a storm was coming and yet he deliberately sent the disciples into a storm. What a nice guy, nice guy. You see, we live in a society, in a culture that says to have perfect peace, you have to be problem free. That that if you want to be a really good Christian, you've got to be problem free. That to have perfect peace, everyone's got to love you. You've just got to be Mr. Likeable. Um, you've got to be an Instagram influencer. You know, you've got to get 100 likes now on a picture. Life has to be amazing. You've got to get a really big house. And it's not about getting a really big house anymore, it's about coming up with a really good story about how you got the big house. It's got to, it's got to top the stories now. You've got to have a nice car, Toyota Yaris, red one, particularly. No problems with the job. You have a million dollars in supernatural to experience peace. I tell you, Sam, I'm scared when we retire, it's going to be four million and three kidneys. I don't know how we're going to retire in our superannuation. Is this is going to be crazy. You know, family's got to be perfect. But this is the truth. Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but it's peace in difficulties. Let me say that again. Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but it's peace in difficulties. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6 and verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He didn't say you may experience trouble. So he said, you have peace, but you will have trouble. So I was just um, going through my devotions this morning. I was reflecting about this story. And one of the things I noticed was when Jesus sent the disciples into the lake the first thing he did was he went up to the hill and started to pray he started to pray and I believe he was actually interceding for his disciples because he knew the storm was praying that he was actually interceding for them do you know I want you to know that God's interceding for you that even though you're in a storm right now God's praying for you God's interceding for you they've got angels around you he's interceding for you And it's quite interesting because when the storms come, we tend to focus on the storms, we tend to focus on the physical things, we we tend to focus on the waves. But the question I have is, what was causing the waves? It was the wind. And the wind is invisible. Who knows that we're in invisible warfare, that we're not against flesh and blood, but we've got an enemy out there who wants to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life, that we're in a spiritual battle. But this is the good news. Long before you face a problem... Long before you face a storm, God already has a plan. He already has a plan. How do I experience the peace of God in the middle of a storm? Well, one of the ways we can experience this peace is understand that God's got a purpose behind the storm. And we see this principle throughout the Bible over and over and over again. When Joseph was rejected by his family, thrown down the world, sold into slavery, went to prison because he was falsely accused, God already had a plan to make him second in charge of Egypt. When the storm came to David, he spent eight years on the run. Eight years from King Saul who was trying to kill him. Eight years. Saul was his mentor. Saul was his friend. David did everything right, yet Saul wanted to kill him out of his jealousy. Eight years in a storm, problems just building, storms just arising, one problem after another. But before the storm, before David would ever face a storm. God already, made him, God already made a plan to make him the greatest king of Israel. Saul had come and anointed him of oil and said, you're going to be the next king. That before David would face Goliath or have run away from Saul, he'd already had a plan that would make him one of the greatest kings of Israel. When Peter denied Jesus three times in front of everyone, and then him and Jesus locked eyes. I want you to know, Peter was a really a strong opinionated man. He was was like, I'm going to be the greatest. I'll never betray you. And then he suddenly rejects Jesus in front of everyone. And the Bible says that Peter and Jesus suddenly locked eyes. Could you imagine the thoughts going in Peter's head? Can you imagine the storm of feeling ashamed and feeling condemned? The storm of his pastor reminding, hey, Peter, didn't you say you'll be the greatest and you'll do this, yet you rejected Jesus in front of everyone? But listen to what Jesus says. Listen to the promise Jesus says to Peter before Peter's rejection, which Jesus already knew. He already predicted. Listen to this. Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, You are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And what happened the day of Pentecost? Peter stood up, he preached, and 3,000 people got saved. That's where the church began. On this rock, I'll build my church. Come on, long before you had a problem, long before you face a storm, God already has a plan, a purpose for your life. You may be in a storm in your marriage right now. I want you to know God has set a purpose and a plan for your marriage, even though you're in a storm right now. Maybe here this morning, you're struggling with mental health and every day is a battle to get up. Every day, you don't know how you're going to manage it. You wake up, you, the depressions, there, you go to bed, anxieties, and you can't see hope for tomorrow. And for some of us, you feel like you just want to give up. I want to tell you, Jesus, all those that are weary and burdened, come to me, I'll give you rest. His inner rest, this peace, that out of the storm you're feeling right now, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life, that you're not an accident. He's got a plan and a purpose. Don't you give up just yet. When Jesus says, get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake, guess what? You're going to make it to the other side of the lake, regardless what storms are coming. Because my Bible says, God is not like man. He should lie or change his mind. But every promise and everywhere that comes from God is yes and amen. He's got a plan and purpose behind your storm. Regardless of what you're feeling, regardless of what you're thinking, God's got a plan and a purpose behind the storm you're facing this morning. His promises never, ever fail. Philippians 1.6, it's a great verse. One of those cornerstone verses that um, I've been relying on and Paul's in a prison, he's in house arrest in, in, in Rome and, and things haven't gone his way. He, he always had a plan to go to Rome to preach to Rome because if he realised he could preach to Rome, he could preach to the rest of the world but he finds himself in a prison cell and things haven't gone towards his way. But listen to what he says, I love it. He says, be confident of this, that he... That God, that Jesus, the promise maker, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion to the day of Christ Jesus. Life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but it's peace in difficulties because you've got a plan behind the storm. You know, sometimes the size of your storm is often an indication of the significance of your life or what's going to happen next. You see, the disciples thought they were only going to the other side of the lake. And now they're thinking, we're in this storm, we're, we're, we're fighting for our life, for what? What was the purpose? Was this really worth it, God? But look what Jesus actually had installed. Look, look at what he had before the storm would come. Look, listen to his plan. Matthew 14, verse 34, 36, it says this. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret, when the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area, and soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fridge of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Man, all who touched him, not one, two, all who touched it in this village were healed. What an anointing in this place! What a a presence, what miracles they would have said that that people just touched the fridge of his room, the very edge of his room, they were healed. Could you imagine if disciples decided to turn back or give up to look for this notion that peace is in no difficulties, to look for this notion that peace is free from trouble? They would have missed out on the biggest blessings of their lives, the biggest blessings. You might be going through a storm right now, but the question I have for you is, what if there is something on the other side that's worth going through the storm for? What if there is something on the other side that's worth going through the storm for? What if there is something on the other side of your marriage, if you just battle the storm, you'll get through? What if there's other side of that uni degree where you're, you're stressing with assignments? So if you don't give up, you, you get through that storm. What does God have on the other side for you? And This is my point. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. You don't have to understand the process to trust that God has a purpose for your life. And there's a great example in this where we see Jesus coming towards the end of his ministry. He knows he's going to be killed. He knows he's going to be betrayed. And listen to what he says to his disciples. He says this, You don't understand what I'm doing, but someday you will. Someday you will. You might not, what, you might not get what's happening right now in your life, but someday you will. Sometimes, in order to have peace that surpasses all understanding, you have to give up your right to understand. And I hate that. I don't like that. I'm a guy that likes one plus one equals two. None of this one plus one equals window. I don't like that. I like a guy that A, B equals C. And there's times in my life where I've been in a storm and I don't know what to do. And sometimes I blame God. I'm like, God, why are you doing this? Why did this have to happen? God, why? Why? I don't understand. Why me? Don't I serve? Don't I do things? Why are you doing this to me? But in six months, one year, two, three years, I look back and realise that God had it under control. He already had a plan and purpose. I just had to go through the process. You don't have to understand the process to trust that God's got a plan for your life or to trust He's got a purpose for your life. Um, Listen to what Paul says. Again, he's in a prison doesn't know his future, he could be executed, but somehow he's got peace. This is what he says. Philippians 4, chapter 6, uh, Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. He says, Do not be anxious, don't be anxious for nothing, Bend everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Yes. How do I experience the peace of God? When I'm in the middle of a storm and I don't understand what's happening. Well, Paul says, your role isn't to understand everything. But he says, your role is to pray for everything. Then the peace of God comes, which does what? Surpasses all understanding. The truth is, you don't need to worry how it's going to work out when you remember who controls the outcome. You don't need to worry how it's going to turn out when you remember who controls the outcome. What does prayer do in our lives? Prayer helps us fix our thoughts, fix our eyes onto God, onto His sovereignty, onto how He reigns. He's in control, which does what? Brings peace compared to worry and stress, which only focuses our thoughts on the giant, which exacerbates our anxiety. Every time we worry, it focuses our thoughts on the giant and our stress increases. What does prayer do? It gets our eyes off our giant and onto God. It gets off our eyes off the giant to God's sovereignty, that He reigns. And then the peace of God comes because He reigns. He's in control. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You'll keep in perfect peace. There's that word again, perfect peace. All who trust in you, whose thoughts are what? Fixed on you. And when our eyes are fixed on God, when our thoughts are fixed, that He's in control, that He reigns. Peace is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties because God already has a plan. God already has a plan. Point two um, that I like out of this story that speaks to me is that peace is knowing that God is with me. One of the things I like to do when preparing a sermon or I like to do some Bible studies, I like to imagine myself in a story. Imagine long hair, six-pack, you know. Back then, that's what I was. (laughs) Thanks, Luke, for your laugh. I encourage that. (laughs) Um, And I kind of want to do this activity with us this morning. I want you kind of to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. I want you to know what they were experiencing. So the Bible says it's three in the morning. I can't function three in the morning. I'm out three in the morning. Three in the morning. It's pitch black. They they, they can't see what's in front of them. They're in a boat in deep waters. If you're like me, I can't swim. So I'm stressed out already. It's pitch black. The boat's rocking. And now there's waves crashing against them. They're going to die. And the Bible, says that the, the Bible says that the disciples were terrified. We need to remember the disciples were experienced fishermen. This wasn't the first rodeo. They've, they've done this sea hundreds of times. They've been out in the waters before. They've experienced storms. But this one's different. Have you ever been like that before where you face storms before, but then out of nowhere there's a storm where you think, oh my goodness, I can't handle this one. I don't, I don't have capacity to manage this one. Not another storm. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. And worst of all, they can't see Jesus anywhere. Where's Jesus? Has he left us? Has he abandoned us? Where's God? Have you ever been in a storm so bad, so terrifying, where you start to question God, where are you? Do you start to question, where's God? Your marriage and your family's falling apart. Where's God? You lost your job. You've got bills coming in. You've got a mortgage. You've got kids. Where's God? How am I going to get my next payment? Where's God? You come back from a doctor's appointment. You thought it would never happen to you. You get some bad news. You thought never happened to me. Where's God? So often in my life, I'm, I'm in the storms. The storms suddenly develop a mouth. They suddenly start to speak to me, David, you're not going to make this storm. Hey, David, this is your fault. God's left you. You're not going to get this one. Hey, David, this storm, you're not going to make it through this one. He's left you. I want you to know they're all lies from the pit of hell. All lies from the pit of hell. Because the truth is the nature of your storm does not change the nature of God. The nature of your storm you're experiencing this morning does not change the nature of God. The storm will tell you that God has left you. The storm will tell you that God has abandoned you. The storm will tell you that you won't make it through. But God's Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you, that he upholds you with his righteous hand, that greater is he that's in me than he is in the world. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. The disciples were terrified, they were anxious, they felt completely alone. They felt God had left them. Why? Because they let the storm dictate and determine the nature of God. They let the storm dictate their view on how they saw God. But then comes this, this beautiful verse. That out of nowhere, there's this verse that just comes out of nowhere that kind of goes against every thought and every line in your head when you find yourself in the storm. See, Matthew fourteen twenty-seven. 27, it says this, But Jesus spoke to them at once. I love how he says, at once. He wants you to know this morning. He wants you to let you know at once now. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. What's the, thing, what's the first thing God wants you to know when you're in the, in the storm of your life, when you don't know where the answers are? You don't know if you're going to be A or B. If, you don't know if you're going to make it. Jesus says, I am with you. He says, at once, I am with you. Notice what Jesus didn't say to the disciples. He goes, guys, come on, again, seriously? This isn't the first storm. Do you remember the the other storm we were in where you woke up when I was sleeping? I said, be still, and the storm went. And now we're here again, going through the same mistakes again. Haven't you learned anything? Guys, come on, it was less than 24 hours ago where we had five pieces of bread, two fish, and I fed 5,000 people. What a miracle. Didn't you learn anything? I'm just so angry with you. Haven't you learned anything by now? Maybe I shouldn't have picked you as disciples. You know what? Maybe I should give up on you. Maybe I should have picked someone else. Jesus never shamed them. He never brought up their past. He never made them feel unworthy or abandoned because they were afraid or because they were in a storm. But Jesus' first response to them was what? I am with you. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Because God knows in the middle of a crisis, the first thing his children need to know and experience is the love of the Father. That he's present, that he's in their life, ready to comfort you in the most difficult times of your life. You know, I've got two children. For some of you guys might know, I've got two children. I've got Ezra, who's six, and I've got Micah, um, who's four. And uh, they've got their mother's looks, praise God. Um, and every time they have nightmares or see a spider uh, or get hurt, uh, what's the first thing they do? They call out "mummy, daddy." Unless there's a spider in the house, then it's Mike as a mummy that calls out "daddy, daddy." Unless there's a snake, then all every person's from their own. I'm out of there. Forget it. No way. But when children call out to their parents because they're afraid and they're scared, and it's only when us parents, then we become present in our children's lives, they start to feel peace no matter what they're feeling because we're present in their lives. And God wants you to know this morning, first and foremost, that he refers to himself as Abba Father, which means Daddy. It's a personal daddy that he's ready to comfort you, that he's with you. No matter what storms you're experiencing this morning, you're a child of God and you belong to him. And he wants to comfort you this morning. He's your daddy, Abba Father. John 14 verse 18, the Living Bible Translation puts it this way. It says, no, I will not abandon you or leave you as orphans in the storm. I will come to you. I'll come to you. I want you to understand. It doesn't matter how far you may be in your depression, Jesus says, I'm coming for you. It doesn't matter how deep you are in your oppression, your strongholds, or how deep your sin may be this morning. You feel like giving up. Jesus says, I'm coming for you. Then nothing separates the love of God for us. He's coming for you. You belong to Him. You're a child of God. No matter how bad your family situation is, He's coming for you. This story gives us hope that no matter what type of storm you've gone through this morning, it doesn't matter if it's a storm you've created or it's just a storm from the enemy, God's nature doesn't change. He still loves you, he is with you and will never abandon you. Some of you guys here have come this morning, you may be watching online and and you feel like giving up in life. You don't think no one loves you, no one cares for you. The storm's so significant. You think the only way out is to give up. I want you to know God loves you, that He cares for you and He's coming for you. Don't you give up. His nature never, ever changes. Regardless how you think or what you feel, He loves you. And the same Jesus with you on the mountaintop, is the same Jesus that's with you at the bottom of the valley. The same Jesus that's praying for you up in the hill is the same Jesus that's in your boat in the middle of the storm. His nature never changes. J. Oswald Sanders says this, Peace is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of God. Presence of God. You know, sometimes I, I, when I'm in a storm, I don't know what to do. And my brain goes A, B, C. So I start to think of solutions and I start to get inside. And I start to stress. I don't know a way out. And one of the things I've learned to do now is just go for a walk and say, God, I just need your presence. I just need your presence. God, I don't know what's going on in this situation, but I just need your presence. And, and somehow while I'm going for that walk, when I invite the presence of God into my life, I just start to feel peace and calm. I don't know what it is. It's something to do with the presence of God. What's the best thing we can do when we don't know what to do, when we feel anxious, when we feel scared, when we feel our world's out of control? We invite Jesus. We invite the presence of God into our lives. We go into a room. We start to cry, God, come into my life. I just want your presence. Come into my family situation. Come into my marriage. Come into my mental health. I don't know what to do. I just need your presence of God. And once the presence of God comes in, you experience his peace. What does the peace of God look like? It's knowing that God is with me regardless of what type of storm I'm experiencing this morning. Point number three is peace is surrendering to God. What's interesting is that in this story, what's interesting is that this story is also written in the Gospel of Mark. So it's written in the Gospel of Matthew, but it's also written in the Gospel of Mark. But there's one big difference. Mark doesn't record and doesn't write that Peter walked on water. He actually leaves it out. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Peter, I would feel ripped off, man. Like, I walked on water. Now, there's no Instagram back then, so, you know, you couldn't record it. Can't put it on Facebook. But I feel ripped out. Like, none of the disciples walked on water. I walked on water, man. Now, that's huge. I was, I was the brave one. Now, I know Jesus, he has his writing in red in the Bible. But put, my, put it in orange because it's quite significant. It's a big deal. You know what I mean? Now, the thing is, although Mark wrote, uh, uh, wrote about the storm, Mark wasn't in the storm. He wasn't a disciple back then. So now, Peter is recounting this story to Mark. He's telling him what to write and what to record in the, in the gospel. And I can imagine Mark questioning Peter, shouldn't I put in the part where you walked on, on, water, go, uh, walked on water, Peter? That's a big deal. Yeah, people write sermons about that, Mark. Put it in there. But Peter says, you know what? Leave it out. Don't put that in, in that gospel. Leave it out. Don't let that be the main focus of the story. The question is, why would Mark and Peter leave it out? Why wouldn't they put that significant part of the story in his gospel? I believe the answer is found in uh, um, the uh, book of Mark, chapter 6, verse 51. It says this, then he, referring to Jesus, climbed into the boat And the wind died down, and they were totally amazed. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, and they were totally amazed. It's funny, when Peter walked on water, it didn't say the disciples were totally amazed. When did it say they were totally amazed? When Jesus climbed into the boat. You see, Peter came to realise that true peace isn't found in your strength or what you can do, but true peace comes when you surrender your life and the storms to him, when you allow Jesus to step into your boat. Peter says, don't tell him what happened when I climbed out, but tell him what happened when Jesus climbed in. Let that be the main focus because when I stepped out of the boat and walked on water, guess what? The winds and the storms are still there. When the disciples are straining and rowing all night and trying to use their own abilities to find peace, guess what? The winds and the storms are still there. When did the winds, when did the storms die down? It died down when the disciples surrendered their life to God, when they allowed Jesus to step into their boats. When they learnt that finding peace isn't based in you rowing and in, in your strength and your ability in what you can control, but it's when you surrender your storms to Him, when you allow God to come into your boat. The world says, if you want true peace, it's all based on your circumstances, based on your abilities, based on your strength, what you can control. But God says, true peace isn't based on what you can do. True peace isn't based on your circumstances. But it's a deep conviction of your heart that you know that God reigns, that He's sovereign, that He's in control. And because of that, I know God will see me through. Therefore, I have peace. He reigns, He reigns, He reigns. So come into my boat, God, because I know you've got under control. True peace is only found when we learn to surrender our lives, our storms, our boat to Him. I wonder this morning, what does your boat represent that you need Jesus to step into and take control? What what does your boat represent that you need Jesus to come into to take control of your life in those situations? What areas have you been trying to manage on your own strength for so long now, yet you feel like you're drowning? I want to encourage you. You might be in the middle of a storm this morning and all you can see is waves and the winds crashing around you. All you see is just darkness. You can't see your way out. You don't know how your family's going to get through. You don't know how your marriage is going to get through. You don't know how that family member who's sick or strained is going to get through. The doctor's giving you another bad result. They said it's never going to happen. Things will never change. Things will never get better. And you feel like you're physically and and you're mentally just falling apart. And like the disciples, you're completely surrounded by the storm and you don't know how to get out of it. You can't see a way through. But I want to tell you, help is on the way. I want to tell you, Jesus is coming. I want to tell you, the Prince of Peace is coming. The Lord of Lords is coming. And He wants to step into your boat, this morning and give you His perfect peace. The question is, will you allow Him to step on your boat? Will you submit and surrender your life to Him? Those battles to Him? Those areas to Jesus and allow Him to be the storm over, the Lord over your storm? You know, If there's ever a person who knew what it was like to experience a storm that was out of control, it was Job. He's a man who lost everything. He lost his family, he lost his possessions, he lost his job, he lost his livelihood. If there was ever a person who who would have been riddled and crippled by what was happening around him, it would have been Job. But listen to what he says about finding peace. It's a powerful verse. Job 22 verse 21 says this, Submit to God and you will have peace and things will go well for you. Submit to God. Surrender your life to God. Submit and those things that's causing, it's causing you to feel anxious. And the Bible says, you will have peace and things will go well for you. What does submitting to God look like in your life this morning? It might mean choosing to forgive someone who's hurt you. It's surrendering that person to God, surrendering that hurt, that that path to God and allowing God to deal with the outcome. It might mean saying no to alcohol or no to illegal substance or no to suicide as a form of trying to get peace. But saying, you know what, God, I'm going to get some help and I'm going to trust you for my future. I'm going to surrender my future too because I know you're with me. I'm going to get some help. You know, I don't know if I'll ever find a job. I don't know if I'm ever physically going to get better. I don't know if, I, if I'm ever going to find that person that God's called me to marry. Or I don't know if I'm ever going to have the ability to have kids. But you know what? I choose to serve you. I choose to love you. I choose you. What is I? Right? Because I surrender to you. I trust you. Because you're a God that reigns. What is God telling you to surrender this morning so you can experience his perfect and lasting peace? care to experiencing His peace is not what you can do, but it's allowing God to do what He can do. As we prepare to do communion this morning, I wonder, there might be some people here today and you're on a storm. You know, you're doing fine one moment, and then out of nowhere, suddenly a storm comes upon you. A sick family member just comes out of nowhere with a diagnosis a storm in your health, a storm of anxiety and depression, and it's like a, it's a wet dog in your life. You just can't seem to shake off. It's just this heavy cloud in your life, and nothing is working. Could be a financial storm, could be a storm in your marriage or in your family, and you've been trying to manage it for, on your own for so long, and you feel like you're drowning. And just like the disciples, you ask yourself, where's God? Don't you care, God? Don't you love me? Don't you care about me, God? Communion reminds us that God hasn't forgotten about you, that you've not forgotten, that He cares about you and He cares about what you're experiencing this morning. And although you may be surrounded by the storm, God wants you to know He's surrounding you, that He's in your boat this morning, that although the storm may be big, God's bigger although the storm may be surrounding God's got you surrounded around his big ginormous hands communion is a form of that says not my will be done but your will be done so I just I give my life to you peace isn't doing my will peace is found when I do your will for my life God so I surrender to you I surrender my marriage to you I surrender my job to you I surrender my will to you Lord God not my will but your will be done That's where success is. That's where the peace of God is. Surrendering to God. God, I just want to do your will for my life. So I surrender those situations to you. This morning, as we break bread, I want to encourage you to invite Jesus to whatever storms you may be facing, to surrender those complex situations and allow His peace, His perfect and lasting peace to come over your life in those situations. Real peace does not begin around us. Doesn't begin around us, real peace first begins inside us. Real peace begins first inside our heart. So I'm just going to pray and before we do communion, just as a sign of faith, you may be struggling with a certain storm and be trying to imagine on your own. I just as a declaration of your faith, as I pray, I just want you to put your hand over your heart. Because peace isn't based on our circumstances, peace is based on the condition of the heart, which only Jesus can heal, which only Jesus can breathe. That's you this morning as I pray, why don't you put your hand on your as, as a step of faith? Father, you're so good. You know, every thought, you know, every emotion, you know, every storm we're going through. And right now, some of us are struggling with anxiety, some of us are struggling with depression, and, and we might not know how to get out of it, Lord God. And and sometimes we feel like just giving up, Lord. Your Word says that peace is not based on circumstances, but you're the Prince of Peace, Lord God. That we invite you into our lives, Lord God. You give us your perfect peace, a peace that's everlasting, a peace that's not based on emotions, a peace that's not based on circumstances, that a peace that only you can bring, Jesus. And I just pray right now, Lord God, whatever body is representing our lives that's causing us to feel anxious. That's causing us that feels like we're drowning. We just pray right now, come Jesus. Come right now, come into our marriages. Come into our physical bodies, Come into our anxiety. Come into our depression. Come into our family. Come into those situations where we don't see hope, Lord God. You're the God of hope. And right now we surrender to you, Lord God. Not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done right now the name of Jesus we come against every thought every circumstance that's not from you that comes from the enemy he is a defeated foe and we claim victory in the name of Jesus that you're a God that sits on the cross that you reign Father God that the same power that was with Jesus that rose him from the death is the same power that's with us this morning so we just declare right now peace come Prince of Peace come Solemn come Come right now in the name of Jesus. Come, Father. Not my will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.